Today on the Everything 80s Podcast, would the success of Pac-Man, would it lend itself to a cartoon show? Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. When something rises in massive popularity, you need to exploit it in every way possible. And that's what happened when Atari had a huge hit on their hands and released the Pac-Man cartoon. The Pac-Man cartoon was put out by Hanna-Barbera and aired on ABC. It was based on the successful Pac-Man game, of course. came out in 1982 and ran for 44 episodes. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there, whether it's Spotify, um, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. I'm in all those spots. Okay, let's get to it. So like I said, this isn't going to be just about the success of the Pac-Man video game, which we'll cover. But it's more about the first time a video game was taken and, and turned into cartoon form. And Pac-Man being like really the first video game that had a ton of um, spin-off related products and merchandise. Not that this hadn't happened before, but it, it's hard to underestimate or sort of understate the success of Pac-Man, which we'll cover in a bit. So this is just a look at the cartoon itself and the specifics because it's kind of a very interesting, really odd cartoon. But just the fact you know, can you take anything that's a hot property and just slap, a, you know, a cartoon together and it'll work? And in this case, it was sort of and it just didn't have the lasting effect it probably probably should have had. I mean, I barely remember the Pac-Man cartoon. I was only around five when this thing came out. Uh, again, there's no way to not know of the Pac-Man video game. It's one of the biggest in history. That little simple dot-eating Pac-Man that was based on a pizza that had a missing slice course took the world by storm and led to all these different spin-offs. So a quick look at the video game. Um, you know, in case this is somehow brand new to you, I don't know how that would be possible, but the game itself was created by Namco in 1980. And you know, it's just this yellow pie with the slice missing eating a bunch of dots, which are supposed to be pellets. He's trying to avoid getting eaten by four ghosts who actually have names, Blinky, Inky, Pinky, and for some reason, Clyde. Interestingly, each of these ghosts not only has a name, but a personality trait. Those traits being shadowy, speed, bashfulness, and pokey. And that's they were actually designed into the game. Pac-Man started out in Japan as Puck-Man, but was released in North America as Pac-Man by Midway Games. The development of the game started in 1979 with the intent of appealing to both men and women. Um, up to that point, video games were primarily for guys, and it was thought that they needed something that would not only you know appeal just to females, but have a, a universal appeal too. They, they they figured they were losing a huge amount of the market, and it was it's not that girls didn't hang out in arcades, but they you know all the main games were dominated by guys and. Some, not all, but, you know, there was the the thought that a lot of games were shooter-based or aliens or, or whatever. And they needed something that was a little more, uh, again, 
universal, more easily accessible, um, you know, not based in violence per se. And, you know, the other idea is that the guys in the arcades, uh, you know, if there's more girls in the arcades, even more guys would show up. Kind of that idea with like nightclubs when they um, let in more women for free because more guys tend to show up. And it was sort of like that idea. So that idea of the character design on the pizza is actually a real thing. It was uh, designed uh, after the creator of Pac-Man, Toru Iwatini, saw a pizza with a slice missing. He also made the ghosts look more cute to further appeal to girls. You can take that however you want. Either way, Pac-Man was brought to the world with Midway making the smart move of changing the name from Puck-Man. You can imagine what kids would have scratched out on the arcade cabinets to change that to. So a good bit of foresight there. So I mentioned the success of Pac-Man. And obviously a massive success or we wouldn't be here nearly 40 years later discussing it. It actually didn't have a huge response in Japan, but caught on like wildfire in North America. It quickly became more popular than any video game in history. And at one point, upwards of 30 million people were using it in 1982. The popularity took everyone by surprise, especially distributors and other competitors. It would overtake Asteroids as the best-selling arcade game in American history and apparently grossed $1 billion in quarters, which is insane to think about that amount of quarters. Each unit sold for around $2,600, and they would sell around 400000 of them. That's another billion dollars in income right there. If you convert that for today, each billion, that's around $2.6 billion for sales and income generated by quarters. Basically, again, you can't understate how massive this thing was. Pac-Man made so much money just in the first year that it surpassed the income of any movie made before it, even Star Wars. By the end of 18 months, it was estimated that 7 billion quarters had been used to play Pac-Man. It won the best commercial game at the 1981 Arcade Awards, which were a real thing, and is considered one of the most important games ever made. And then, you know, it would lead to a massive amount of spin-off products and an amazing slash awful song called Pac-Man Fever, if you know that one. Look it up if you don't know. All of these extra merchandising and spin-off products would generate another billion dollars. And that brings us to the Pac-Man cartoon. And let's look at how they sort of threw this thing together. So as I mentioned, the series came out in 1982, was riding the enormous success of the video game. What would make the show unique? Like, they they were wondering, how are you going to stand out? We'll cover some of those things in a minute. But the first thing that was unique is that this was the very first cartoon based on a video game. Many others would follow over the years, but Pac-Man was kind of the godfather of taking this side property and bringing it into another medium. The show was released by ABC starting on September 25th, 1982, and would run until November 5th, 1985. In its first season, it was packaged together during the Pac-Man Little Rascals Richie Rich show, if you remember that sort of combination, depending on how old you are when you grew up. The next season, it was combined with the iconic Rubik the Amazing Cube into a combined sort of top fads of the early 80s cartoon hour. And I did a whole show on Rubik the Amazing Cube, and it, that's, it kind of exactly mirrors everything to do with Pac-Man. The Rubik's Cube is the biggest selling toy of the 80s by far and one of the biggest selling toys in history. It sold over 350 million units. So the same thing 
was happening. It, the Rubik's cube didn't lend itself well to, you know, like bed sheets and lunch boxes. And I'm sure some of that stuff existed as well as Pac-Man, but it, it's, it followed the same trajectory as Pac-Man. The Rubik's cube was so big that at the end of the year, um, when it came out, the top 10 list of the New York Times bestsellers featured two, no, three different books that were about how to solve the Rubik's Cube. That's how big that was. And in the same sort of, you know, vein of, of striking while the iron's hot, they did anything they could with Rubik and turned it into a cartoon show, which seems impossible. The show is crazy. Look Rubik the Amazing Cube up on YouTube. I think there's a bunch of episodes still up. And and listen to my podcast all about it if you want. This show is so bizarre, so weird, but actually a little bit groundbreaking because it was one of the first shows um, that featured uh, you know, more of an emphasis on the Latin community. The theme song was sung by the boy band Menudo, if you remember them, before um, What's-His-Name was in it. Um, Ricky Martin, that's it. And so it was seen as groundbreaking in that sense because there wasn't as much, you know, representation uh, as far as the Latin community on TV, especially in cartoons, you know. So it it sort of paved the way for other, you know, things that would come down the road like Dora the Explorer and all that. But it's an interesting comparison. And uh, they, you know, sort of saw, saw these two as sort of two peas in a pod and combined them together in the Pac-Man Rubik the Amazing Cube Hour that aired on Saturday mornings. And that's when I remember it. Before we get into the actual plot and more breakdown of the Pac-Man cartoon, let's take a quick break. and corn pops, Pac-Man cereal, part of a good breakfast. You can do it. You can do the Pac-Man. So putting this cartoon together, how do you create a plot around this thing that just goes around eating pellets running from ghosts? Like with Rubik the Amazing Cube, they went really wacky with it and, and really creative and imaginative. So this show is about Pac-Man and his wife, Miss Pac-Man, who is actually named Pepper. So take that, Tony Stark. They have a baby named Pac-Baby, a dog named Chomp Chomp, and a cat with an unrelated video game name of Sourpuss. Pac-Man and his Pac-Family live in Pac-Land, and it's a world that's filled with spheres and different sort of shapes like that. Everything is seemingly fine in Pac-Land, but we have the ghost show up, and that's Clyde, Inky, Blinky, Pinky... The ghosts assemble themselves as the ghost monsters and, like the video game, try to destroy Pac-Man's life. The ghost monsters have a boss named Mesmeron, who is a Darth Vader-like character who's just pure evil, of course. There are a lot of connections, if you watch this show, between Mesmeron and Gargamel from the Smurfs. That was another Hanna-Barbera show. So, you know, a lot of liberties were taken here just to create something and get out as fast as possible. In a very Mad Max sort of style, Mesmeron is trying to control the source of all the power pellets in Pac-Land. If he can control this main food supply, he can essentially control all of Pac-Land. Over the 44 episodes, there are some other crazy plots that would happen, including um, the ghosts create an earthquake machine to rock the land. The Pac-Land World Series is attempting to be ruined by the ghosts. For some reason, the ghosts are able to steal the space shuttle. We learn the origin of the power pellets. 
Uh, Mesmeron creates a giant robotic ghost monster. And there's also a Pac-Man or sorry, Pac-Land Olympics. I think that one's still on YouTube. I'll, I'll give the show creators or the show's creators some credit. They did use a lot of kind of out of the box creativity over all the episodes. But then again, you know, they had sort of free reign because of how simple the whole concept of the video game was anyway. There was nothing they had to follow. They could do whatever they want. There were also a few holiday specials, including a Halloween and Christmas one. The Halloween specials actually aired on prime time on ABC October 30th, 1982, but was basically just made up of two Halloween segments from the show. So on the Pac-Man cartoon, it actually featured some pretty substantial voice talent. I mean, you're not going to create a show with the hopes it's going to fail. So since Pac-Man was such a huge success worldwide, there was no reason to think that the show wouldn't be a massive hit. So they sort of put everything into it. This was just before cartoon shows exploded into um, release and, and there was constant work. Like it's still sort of the early days of the deregulation that was happening where there was more... Cartoons available, basically advertising to children uh, was not limited anymore. So there was a there was a 300 percent rise in new creative characters and cartoons and, and everything like that. So this is slowly starting to happen. But all the studios and the networks haven't, you know, pushed out this sort of tidal wave of new content. So when that happened, the voice talent was all over the place and there was jobs for everyone all the time. But this is just before that's happening. So they had some, you know, pretty substantial people available. So some of the main characters, Pac-Man was performed by Marty Ingalls, who was on a ton of shows in the 60s, including The Addams Family, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Bewitched. Uh, Mesmeron was voiced by Alan Lurie, who provided many of the voices on shows like The Jetsons, The Smurfs, Yogi Bear. Inky was voiced by Barry Gordon. Gordon's done a ton of work, in, including the Smurfs, the Jetsons, the Snorks, but you would remember his voice as Donatello in the Ninja Turtles. He also did the voice of Rocksteady, too. Blinky and Pinky was Chuck McCann. He did voices on G.I. Joe, the Get Along Gang, the Smurfs, the Snorks, DuckTales. Clyde was voiced by Neil Ross. He did voices on Transformers, Spider-Man, um, and was the voice of the narrator uh, at the Biff Tannen Museum in Back to the Future 2. If you can imagine you know, that little point when Marty's walking up and hearing the history of Biff Tannen, that's Neil Ross who did Clyde. Pac-Baby was voiced by Rusty Taylor, who was in My Little Pony, and is the modern voice of Minnie Mouse in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit specifically. You'll probably know <laughs> them best, uh, or Rusty Taylor best, as Martin Prince on The Simpsons. Sourpuss was done by the great Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Optimus Prime. I, I don't know how he took this little role, but this was, of course, before Transformers. So these, you know, now iconic and famous voice actors were just taking anything. Soon they would have so much work, they, they had to turn down a lot of stuff. So what was the response to this show? Like I said, everything was there to make this show a big hit, but... Every kid knew Pac-Man, but there was no backstory to Pac-Man. So if you had an idea of what it was, you know, Pac-Man was all about and where he came from, this might not have looked like what you had imagined. So kids, you know, the response was decent, but not overwhelmingly epic because it only lasted two seasons. Who did have a great response to this show, however, were advertisers. Pac-Man was such a huge video game, of course, 
that the cartoon was awaited with huge anticipation. This made advertisers salivate and practically line up down the block to get time slots during the show. There was no way to advertise in video games um, in the 80s, and this thing was so big, anyone want, everyone wanted a part of it. Now, you know, there's in-game ads, or if it was an online version, it's, it's easier to infiltrate anything to do with video games these days. But back then, it was just the arcade games, and the Atari units, and that was it, and no one could sort of crack into that. So when they found out that the biggest video game in history was coming to a cartoon show, like I said, advertisers were lined up down the block. The overwhelming demand created commercial breaks that were twice as long as normal. This is not ideal for kids with minimal attention spans who just want to watch more Pac-Man. In later years, they found out the commercial breaks would return to their normal length. Again, and I've covered this so much on the show, but... It's so relevant to everything in the 80s is um, the deregulation of advertising to children that Ronald Reagan did at the start of the decade. And a show like this would never have existed a few years before, especially um, before all that. It was, you know, commercials and cartoons can almost be seen as the same thing to a lot of kids. They can't differentiate between the two. And that was seen as manipulative by the advertisers to take advantage. So they were limited before that to... Um, commercials only having like seven to 10 seconds of actual cartoon content in them Um, and, you know, products that couldn't be directed to kids. So now it's 1982, all the restrictions are held back. So shows like this took huge advantage of it. So not only are the commercials now completely directed at kids, unsuspecting kids who can't, you know, handle um, what's being thrown at them, they've doubled the length of time. And there was... Uh, there was committees, uh, ones called the Action for Children's Television. There were a bunch of these things that existed that were trying to protect kids from all this stuff. And they are totally helpless now to watch this as a double-long commercial break that's pounding even more, you know, cereals and junk food and cartoons and toys and everything at, again, these unsuspecting kids. So, again, Pac-Man, not surprisingly, was more of a commercial endeavor and commerce-driven than you know, it still was creative, but of course that wasn't the point. It was just to get this thing on TV to get kids drawn in and then to be exposed to more ads. I'll say this, so what made Pac-Man unique was this was one of the only times in the 80s a show was released due to the success of a product. In most cases with cartoons, the show is used to launch toys. Obviously, like G.I. Joe, Transformers. The cartoon is all put together as 22-minute little commercials to launch specific and individual toys, characters, playsets, all that stuff. In this case, the intent was just to capitalize on the popularity of something that was already a success. It would still create interest in Pac-Man, but it was about putting more content out there as opposed to using, again, the show as a 22-minute long commercial. But everything being driven by the huge demand for advertisers to somehow be connected with Pac-Man. Over the years, Pac-Man set the stage for more cartoons to be based on video games. It sort of opened up the, the floodgates as far as that. I, I don't know, again, how old you are, but if you grew up in the 80s and you're young enough, or you're young enough at the time, you remember the Saturday Supercade. That would feature games, uh, cartoons based on games like Frogger, Donkey Kong was really good, Qbert was a really good show. Saturday Supercade would be made by Ruby Spears Productions. They are the same people who brought us Rubik the Amazing Cube. So they're just looking around at whatever, you know, they go to arcade manufacturers and, and arcade owners and find out what the top games were. 
And then they would just base cartoons on that. And those were the big ones there. And, and once now they are learning, they needed ones that did lend themselves um, to kids a bit better and had more of a cartoon, you know, sort of essence to them, like Donkey Kong, like Hubert. That Hubert show, though, was very, very good from uh, my early memories of it. So I'll start winding it down here. And, of course, now there's anything with a successful video game has a different sort of... Um, you know, related spinoff, whether it's in cartoon form or, you know, they throw it a Netflix series or an anime um, production or whatever. And so, it, you know, it happened very quickly again with those video games like Donkey Kong Cuba. But over the years, there was a ton of shows um, and cartoons then that were based on video games, such as the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, The Legend of Zelda, the Sonic X cartoon. There was a Double Dragon cartoon. Uh, Captain N, the Game Master, if you remember that. Pokemon, of course, one of the biggest ever. Carmen Sandiego, um, a show that's pretty synonymous with the entire 1980s. And, of course, none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for that you know, missing slice of pizza and the rise of the Pac-Man arcade game, which gave rise to the cartoon show itself. Okay, let's finish it there. So hopefully you find an interesting look at um, you know, sort of these different mediums and how powerful video games were back then, especially because you had to go out and get them. I mean, we had the Atari versions come out, but arcades were the social hub for most kids. It was uh, the same sort of um, dynamic in essence as like bars and clubs. You go there, it was your social time. It was where you would interact, where you would network. You'd show off your skills on the video game. You'd see what's the latest and greatest um, you'd, you'd see who's the best at stuff and like that. So the arcade game was the sort of center point in the lives of a lot of kids and pretty amazing because now we expect content to be brought to us. Like we don't have to do anything. We just have to sit here and the content comes. But back then the video game culture was so big, you had to go out and get it. Uh, and eventually, you know, it would come into the home. So yeah, an interesting, you know, sort of crossover between the power of video games and the arcades and then moving into the different medium of children's television and Saturday morning cartoons. Okay, that's it for me. Again, if you haven't already subscribed or even find your podcast, I should be there. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. Okay, let's start winding it down here. I mean, everyone loves Chicken McNuggets. I do too. These little beauties remain one of the most famous fast food uh, items of all time. Usually the go-to choice for kids ever, like since day one when they came out in 1981. They worked perfectly for kids. They were perfect as a Happy Meal item. The McNugget Buddies were one of the top stars for the company in commercials and toys during the 80s. And again, you know, McDonald's gets a lot of crap and you have to give them credit. They've made some strides to keep the public happy. I would think that as long as McDonald's exists, you're always going to get that little bell, the bow, the tie, bow tie thing, the ball and the boot in some form. And if anything, like they're expanding on them, like I said, they're making a new version altogether. So that'll be it for me. Hopefully you like the show. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. 
I should be there. I will be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.